Y'all have a, a good uh, St. Patrick's Festival, eat well, corned beef and hash, all that good stuff. Traditional Irish food, no, nobody. It's all good. As long as you had family and enjoyed since then. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and get started and uh, go over some of the announcements. But before that, let's go ahead and uh, open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for today. We honor you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify your name for you're worthy to be praised, Lord. We thank you for the gift of of uh, your son, the gift of grace, the gift of your spirit that helps us to walk circumspect before you and to walk in what we should walk in to be well-pleasing to you, Lord. And so we thank you for your grace today. Help us to draw closer to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a few announcements. Uh, the men's breakfast is going to be April 9th. At 8 o'clock, uh, here in the, the fellowship hall there, uh, the social hall. So it was a really good one. Last time we had about 32 people show up, and uh, it turned out really well. And so we think God's going to move in that. And uh, also, uh, Wednesday nights we have teen night, the adult Bible studies. Uh, Pastor Brian leads a Bible study there. We, we work with the teen upstairs, Pastor Larry, myself, Edward, my wife, and Matthew. Work with the high schoolers in uh, junior high, and Leslie and Joe, or Pam, and uh, Dan work with the, the younger ones as we have uh, the need of who all's there. Sometimes we combine classes based on how many show up, but, but sometimes we have quite a few. And that's at 5.30. We also have a meal prior to going into the lessons and all on that. On Thursday, we have the discipleship. Uh, I lead an in-depth discipleship starting at 5, and it goes to about 6.30. Try to get everyone out by then on that. And, of course, we have our Sunday celebration here and the adult Bible school at 9.30. Also, uh, we'd like to remember to keep uh, our prayer requests going on uh, some of our prayer requests, some of the more recent ones. Continue to pray for uh, the Frankowitz family and their friends for comfort and all that. You know, Tim had lost his mother recently, and they just had the celebration of life. Continue to pray comfort and peace, you know. Our God is a God of peace and comfort, and he knows how to touch our hearts and help us. Also, continue to pray for Doris. She had had a little slip, and keep her lifted up. And uh, there is a prayer chain here. If you don't know, you can get with Janine during the week. If you're not on the prayer chain, you can get on it, and then you'll be aware of a lot of the stuff, too, that's going on. Just ask her to add you to the, uh, the list, and they'll send it out. Amen? Any praise reports? Good news? Anyone have anything to say? Uh-huh. Cliff, all right, we're going to add him to the prayer list, right? You let Janine know as well. Prayer for Cliff. Her brother's not doing well. 
Tim's friend, his brother, all right? And Cliff. Any praise reports? Any, anything else? Well, I'll say praise the Lord. He's just worthy to be praised, so we always can praise, hey, we're alive and well right now and living in such a time as this. Amen? As God said that the prophets of old looked down the road and they, they delighted and said, hey, if we could only live then, it looks so amazing. And we always look back at them saying, what an amazing time they had. But they actually coveted to be in this time that we're living in right now. So there's great things about to happen. And uh, God's mighty. Larry? Oh, yeah, 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 that's. Uh. Amen. So praise report. Prayer works, right? We pray, God hears. And uh, we prayed for his son that he would have a job, and in four days he got one after moving from here to Fresno. So amen. Well, Father, we just thank you for Cliff, Lord. Right now we lift Cliff up to you, Lord. The doctor's prognosis is that he has terminal cancer, but you're the great physician, Lord. It's not done until you say so, and you're the one that can touch and heal. You know everything about us, Lord. And so we speak life into him. We, we, we cancel out any assignment from the enemy, any spirit of death or anything over his life, and we speak life, the life of God, into Cliff right now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father. For your goodness, Lord, touch him from head to toe, fingertip to fingertip, and every part of him inside and out, Lord, and bring healing and health and wholeness in Jesus' name. We also thank you, Lord, for Tim's friend, her uh, brother going through a hard time. We just, you know what it is, Lord, and we just ask that your grace would be abundant and sufficient in that situation, Lord, and uh, provide whatever it is they may need in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. All right. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? It's good to see everybody out there. We're going to enter into a time of worship here. You came and broke them down. You broke them down. There reigns around us. By your grace, we are no longer bound. No longer bound. You call me out of the grave. You call me into the light. You call my name, and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater. Your love is strong. Awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Oh, oh, oh. Feel the darkness. Feel the darkness. 
shaking All the dead are coming back to life Oh, back to life Hear the song awaken All creation singing we're alive Cause you're alive You call me out of the grave You call me into the light You call my name and then my heart came alive Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Yes, we do. I want to see you. Sing open. Oh, we open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Yeah. Open the See you high lifted up, shining in the light of the glory. 
God gives us the promise that he'll never let us go. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. All we got to do is call upon his name. So let's behold that promise this morning. Amen. Let's sing, you never let go. Because even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, won't turn back, I know you are near. I will feel no evil. I will feel no evil. For my God is with me. If my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? never let go through the calm and through the storm oh no you never let go every high and every low no you never let go lord you never let go of me no you don't because i can see a light that is coming for a heart that holds on Glorious light beyond my compare. There will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, we'll live to know you're here on the earth. And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. Let's proclaim it. And if my God is with whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Oh, and oh no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, you never let go every high and every low. No, you never let go. Singing, oh no, 
never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, never let go. Every high and every low. Oh no, never let go, Lord. Never let go of me. No, no. When we sing out, oh no, never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, never let go. Every high and every low. Oh no, never let go, Lord. Never let go. So we're going to switch gears here a little bit, switch instruments. I do that from time to time, so we'll sing this one out together. We haven't actually played this in a little while. I think the last time we did it, we had the uh, other keyboard set up up here, and Marshall was um, kind enough to get this new keyboard here for us. You call me out. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery of oceans deep. My faith will stand, and I will call, and I will call upon your name, and keep my eyes above the waves, when oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I grace abounds. Your grace abounds the deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where fiend may fail and fear surrounds me. You never fail. You never failed, and you won't stop now, no. So I will call upon your name, 
keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you Father, 
we are yours and you are ours. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all you've done. Now, Lord, we just ask you to bless this time that we're together. Let it be all about honoring and glorifying you and not us and not this church. Help us to always remember this is your church, Father. We're just stewards and, and keepers of it in your name. We thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It is time to receive our morning tithes and offerings. A couple of us were happy about it. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to give back to the work of Christ and to the work of this church in this neighborhood and in this community. Father, help us to give and give cheerfully. Help us to give generously and sacrificially. Father, we just ask that you bless the gift and the giver alike. Multiply these gifts to meet the needs of this body of believers and beyond. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Forgot my checkbook today. Likely excuse, huh? Would you stand with us for the singing of the doxology, if you're able? yourself some sticks, man. You're, you're, a little, you're a little dangerous with those, huh? Welcome. Welcome to First Baptist Church. It's good to meet Al Gray. I met Al Gray this morning. I guess Al and his wife are members or at least attendees of the church for quite a while, but I've never met Al before, and it's nice. To, we had a nice conversation this morning. It's good to see Mario back with us again. Thank you, Mario. Good to see you all here, actually. So, I heard about the true story. The woman called that, you know, that 800 phone number for butterball turkeys? You know, if you, you can call the 800 number. Well, she called it. I guess I should have saved this story for Thanksgiving, but I'll tell it again because maybe we'll forget it by then. But 
She called the 800 number and she said, I got a question. I've got a turkey that's been in my freezer for 23 years. And it's supposedly a true story. And she asked the lady on the phone, she says, is it still good? She says, well, as long as the freezer's always been at zero degrees or lower, it should be fine. But I have to tell you why it may be safe to cook and serve. It's not going to be very good. It's not going to be tasteful at all, I'm sure. It's got, by now, it's lost all of its flavor. It's not going to be juicy. My guess is the meat's going to be very tough. But you can cook it and serve it if you want. And she says, well, you know, if that's the case, I think I'll just go ahead and donate it to the church. <laughs> Two story. Talk about giving your best, huh? So. Man called the phone company, and he said, I want to terminate, I want to discontinue my mother's phone service. And the, the, the lady at the phone company looked it up, and she said, well, you can't. The, the phone's in your father's name and her husband's name, and he's the one, he's the only one who can terminate it and can cancel it. And he says, ma'am, her husband, my father's been dead for over 20 years. There's no way, there's no way he can discontinue it. And she says, well, I don't know what to do then. I, I'm just not going to be able to help you. And he thought for a while, and he says, well, if we quit paying the bill, will you turn off the phone? She says, well, yeah, of course we would, but that's going to hurt his credit. I saw this on the Internet. I thought it was pretty funny. Do you know that I'm sorry and I apologize mean exactly the same thing except at a funeral. Nobody liked that, huh? I kind of get that, but okay. I always go too far, don't I? Yeah. Anyway, we're going to look today at a story we find in Mark 5. Today we're going to look at Mark 5, verses 1 through, it says 19, I think I'm going to go through, through, through verse 20. You'll be familiar as we read the story. You're going to be familiar with it. And, you know, we finished up our, our series. I think we did a pretty in-depth in -depth study into the, uh, into the Sermon on the Mount. We finished that up last week. And I just felt like this is where the Lord was taking me. Um, I called it, I titled it, earlier in the week, I titled it, uh, When Pigs Fly. I didn't finish writing the message till late last night. If I would have done, if I would have had written it before, I think I would have called it, Jesus, leave me alone. And anyway, we're going to look at, like I say, Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And if you're able, would you stand with me out of the respect of the reading of God's word? Mark 5, beginning at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, on his, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of, this, come out of the man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
and he begged Jesus again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hill nearby. The demons begged Jesus, let us, let, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Lord, we all stand amazed as well, Father. We just thank you for your holy scripture. We just ask that you add your blessing to the reading of your word. Be with me again today, Father. Help me to be your obedient servant. Help me to do what you have laid on my heart. Help me to do it and to do it well that you may be glorified and honored. Lord, we just give this time over to you. We recognize, Lord, that, that, that you are in control, not us. And we just are here to be a steward of your church and help us to do that to the best of our ability. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, in Mark 4, as, as Mark 4 closes out, we find Jesus in a boat on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And you'll remember a great storm arose, and the waves were lapping over the boat, and there was a, 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 the rage, the storm was, was raging, and a, and, a, and a great squall arose. And the disciples were scared to death, and Jesus was in the front of the boat in the stern. He's sound asleep on a cushion. And remember what the disciples did? They, they woke him up, and they said, Lord, don't you care that we are about to drown? Apparently, they did not doubt his ability to deliver them. They were questioning his love, his compassion. Don't you care that we are about to drown? Jesus got up. He rebuked the storm and stilled the waves. And then turning to the disciples, he asked, why are you so afraid? Why do you have such little faith? We're told, then that story closes out by telling us that the disciples were terrified, asking each other, who is this? Who is this that even the waves and the wind obey him? They were terrified and wondering exactly who Jesus is. Then they went across the lake to the region of Gerasene. So the story somewhat starts out with terrified disciples and then the story continues almost like a Stephen King novel. We will find a terrified and terrifying man living among the tombs. We will find, we'll be introduced to terrifying and terrified demons, terrified pigs, and terrified townspeople. 
The area of Gerasenes is also known as Gadarenes, is a region in, in the east side of the Sea of Galilee. It is a Hellenistic area, predominantly, which means it's predominantly inhabited by those of Greek heritage and, 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 and their Gentiles. But at, at, at Rome had placed it under control of Jewish King Herod. But when Herod died in 4 BC, it was then made part of Syria. Today, it's still there, and it's part of Jordan today. And it was there, it was there that Jesus first met this unusually violent, demon-possessed man. The man came, we are told, from the tombs. He lived among the tombs, and he was a terror to society. He possessed supernatural strength, and he could not be restrained. When he had been restrained, he just simply tore the chains apart. And we're told nobody could restrain him, nobody could sub subdue him. And I was wondering as I read that, who was the one who went out and chained him with those chains that he tore apart? Now that a brave person. Yeah. Turn tonight, go, go chain up Hiram, you know. Yeah, I used the name Hiram. I wasn't going to go here, but I guess I will. I use the name Hiram because when I was a kid in Galligan, Ohio, I was like seven, eight years old, we had, a, we had a guy there in the city by the name of Hiram. Hiram was mentally challenged. I think back in the day, in the 50s, we would have called him retarded. That's not appropriate today, but he was mentally challenged. He was big, and he was strong. And we kids were scared to death of Hiram. You know, if we saw Hiram coming, we ran. We ran the other way. And I can remember my good buddy, Gary, his dad had taken an old shed, a pretty good-sized shed, and he let Gary have it, and they painted it up and made it a clubhouse. You know, it was a fort. And one day, I think about seven or eight of us are in the fort playing and, you know, just having fun, and somebody looks out and says, here comes Hiram. And we're scared to death, and we all scampered. Somehow, we all got up on the roof of the shed, all right, the roof of this clubhouse. And Hiram comes along, and, you know, he's having a good time. We didn't know it at the time, but he's scaring us, and he's making growling noises, you know. And we're all screaming, and then Hiram starts shaking the shed, and he pushes it over. He's got this shed that's about six feet by eight feet with eight boys on top of it, and he, he's got strength enough to just push the shed over. And, of course, we all took off running. We were scared to death of Hiram, right? It, was, it became a game, I think, with Hiram. And one morning, we had a, I had this great little dog, a little dog, black dog, and we named him Blackie. And one morning, I get up, and I open up the front door, and I look through the screen out to our front porch, and there is Hiram on my front porch petting Blackie. He's got Blackie on his lap, right? Man, I shut that door so fast, and I ran to get, Mom, Hiram's on the front porch. What's he doing? He's petting Blackie. What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. She said, well, go talk to him. Excuse me? Go talk. So I went out to talk to him. I actually did. And he was smiling. I said, I said hey, Hiram, his name is Blackie. And Hiram, it's almost like a scene from, of Mice and Men, you know, one of those things, you know. And Hiram says, he's a nice dog. I said, yeah, he is. He's a sweet dog. 
And I go, and then Hiram just kept petting him, and we sat there. And you know what? Hiram would come all the time to my house and see Blackie and pet Blackie, yeah. And we would talk when he did. And my friends all said, he's going to kill you, Low. I don't think so. So anyway, so go chain up Hiram tonight. So anyway, he, uh, we're told he lived among the tombs. And that night and day, he cried out and he cut himself with stones. And some versions say, all night and all day, he howled and he, and he bruised himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? He pled with Jesus not to torture him. Now, I, I find it amazing that the disciples saw a great miracle. They saw Jesus calm the storm and the waves, and they were terrified, wondering who exactly Jesus is. The demons saw Jesus, knew exactly who he is, and they were terrified. The disciples were terrified over what Jesus did. The demons were terrified over who Jesus is. The man came, and he, 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 at first, of course, he acted respectfully bowing on his knees and before Jesus in adoration and in petition and in faith. But we also see the bitter complaining, hating, defiant, and fearing. And in this, we certainly see a picture of the double-minded man that we, that we read about in the book of James. You know, the double-minded man, the, the, the one who's longing for the liberty that only Christ can provide, yet desperately and passionately clinging to the things of this world. You know, it's, it's interesting to think of Jesus engaging with this man in light of what the Jews considered unclean and to be an abomination. He was a non-Jew. Therefore, he would be considered unclean. He lived among the tombs. The Jews considered graves and graveyards as unclean, and anyone who had come into contact with them would be considered unclean until they had gone through the required cleansing and purification ritual. Demons, of course, were considered unclean. And they were to be avoided. And, of course, the pigs in the story were considered unclean animals. Reverend Lynn Malone has suggested that perhaps in this story, perhaps Jesus is the most terrifying presence in the whole encounter. He immediately recognized this demonic possession, and he's about to disturb the status quo as well as the demons. He immediately recognized the evil and demanded to know their name. They were legion. The word legion is interesting in that the same word would be used to describe a group of Roman soldiers numbering as many as perhaps 6,000. The name of the demon demonstrates the depth of the torment that, this, that torment that this man was under. But no matter how many they were, no matter how much power they have, they had no choice but to bow to the presence and the power of Jesus. As Paul said, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And C.S. Lewis wrote concerning the devil and demons that there are Two, he said, equal but opposite errors that we fall into. One is to deny that they actually exist. 
The other is to believe that they exist, but to have an unhealthy interest in them. As Christians, of course, we do believe evil exists. Evil spirits do exist. And actual cases of demonic possessions have been well documented. Dr. Richard Gallagher, an Ivy League schooled psychiatrist and professor, as well as J.W. Montgomery, a noted theologian and lawyer, and British theologian Dr. Roy Clements, have all written extensively about cases of demonic possessions that they have encountered and witnessed firsthand. Many theologians and believing psychiatrists claim, and I agree with this, that they believe that as many as one-third of the patients in mental institutions are there not because of mental illness, but rather demon possession. The demons, acknowledging Jesus' power and authority over them, begged Jesus not to banish them into the abyss. They begged Jesus to send them into the herd of pigs feeding on a nearby hillside. Jesus gave his permission. The impure spirits came out of the man and went into pigs. I was wondering, could that be where we get deviled ham? Okay, I'll leave that alone. So. <laughs> the, uh, Jesus may have obliged their request, but in doing that, Jesus was exercising his authority over them and directing their destruction anyway. To the Jewish mind, the sea was a symbol of the abyss. It was a place from which there was no return. So as those 2,000 pigs plunged off the cliff and into the sea, they were sealing their fates as being forever banished into the abyss. Jesus was to the demons and to every evil a very real terrifying presence. No doubt he would have been terrifying presence to the pig farmers or the herders that were overseeing and watching the herd. Can you imagine the ones responsible for the caretaking of the pigs watching, kind of open mouth as one by one the pigs ran to the cliff and jumped and dove into the, into the sea? You know, over and over, plunging into the water. I guess you could call it the Bay of Pigs. I'm going to keep doing this, you know, so you may as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. 2,000 pigs, of course, would be no small financial sacrifice. It certainly would not have taken long for the pig herders to kind of gather themselves and go to town to tell the people what had transpired. The townspeople came out to see for themselves what had taken place. Among the townspeople would be many who owned the pigs. You know, many theologians speculate that many of these would have been Jews, as it was a region that had been overseen by Herod. And that may be true. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know. But if it is true, then these Jews were in violation of their own scriptures and their own beliefs. Pigs were considered unclean, and no Jew should have anything to do with them. And these Jews had a choice. Be obedient to God and to my faith, or put my own desires 
and my own financial wellness first. And so do we. Do we avoid sin, stay obedient to God and to the Word of God, or do we make our own desires and financial gains a higher priority in our life? So the townspeople and the owners of the pig have come out to discover that all the pigs are gone. They've suffered a great financial loss. 2,000 pigs dead and gone. Joe had come out to discover his 500 pigs are dead. Dan came out to see that his 400 pigs are gone and dead. Marshall's lost 350 pigs. Mark lost 300. All have suffered loss. I myself lost my entire life savings. Both my pigs are gone. It should be noted here that the Lord did not cause this destruction, but he did permit it. The, the pigs were destroyed as a result of Satan's destructive power. Jesus did exactly what he should have done, and no one would have any right to question him about it. And there is no record of the pig owners finding fault with Jesus. And after all, isn't the soul of this one man more valuable than all the pigs in all the world? But what seems to be the most disturbing thing to the townspeople is not the pigs, but the demon-possessed man. When they came to the place where he was, he is no longer an unclothed, raging lunatic or madman. He's clothed. He's clean. He's in his right mind. His face is washed. His hair is combed. Are the townspeople delighted for him? Are they happy for his transformation? Are they welcoming and, and, and saying, welcome back to the community. Welcome, welcome, you're welcome to come to our homes. No. It seemed to cause them great fear and great distress. And they actually asked, and they, in fact, they insisted, Jesus, just leave the region. Jesus, leave us alone. Go away. I find it incredibly interesting that they could live with the crazy man in their presence, but they could not live with Christ. And Jesus took their known comfortable circumstances. They, they had gotten used to the crazy man living among the tombs and knew how to handle the situation. He took that known circumstance and forced them to face the unknown. And the unknown can be the scariest of all. They could cope with the known, even if the known was bad, but the unknown was far scarier. They were terrified. Maybe what scared them the most was that Jesus, who has the power to cast out demons, maybe he might cast out their demons as well. Perhaps they didn't want their demons cast away. They'd gotten used to their demons, and they rather liked their demons. If Jesus had the power to destroy a whole herd of pigs, what might the power do next? The power of God is at work among them, and they want to pretend nothing happened. The power and the presence of Jesus Christ will force them and force us to confront the evil around us. That can be a very uncomfortable, a very scary position. Do we find Jesus Christ just as terrifying as these people? Maybe so. 
Maybe we find Jesus so terrifying because maybe by saying yes to him, it'll result in him calling us to a fellowship that may result in some sort of social or financial sacrifice. Maybe it's scary because we are called to live in, an, in a world that is full of change. And like it or not, the world Jesus calls us to live in and to minister his word and to speak to the issues of the culture, for better or worse, is constantly changing. He does not call us to retreat from the world or to bury our head in the sand and, and reject those changes, but rather to minister to those who live in a changing world. It can be inundating. It can be overwhelming. It can be scary. And certainly there are those among us who find themselves terrified of Jesus, terrified of saying yes to Jesus because if he's real and the gospel is true, then it also means I need to change. I may need to let him cast away my demons, and I may not want him to. I like my life just the way it is, thank you. I like my sins, so please, don't meddle, don't meddle. Maybe the best thing is if you would just go away, Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus can be terrifying because... We are no longer free to relegate the, to the fringes of society, to the isolated tombs, those we find disturbing because of the nature of evil within them. We find ourselves so self-centered and complacent that we say of them, just leave them alone. If, we don't bother, if, if they don't bother us, then we won't interfere with them. And who exactly is these people that we would be talking about. Maybe it's the mentally handicapped. Maybe it's Hiram. Or perhaps the addicted. Maybe it's the prisoner or the poor. Maybe it's the neglected or the abused. Are these, are these the least of these that Jesus talked about who stand in need of deliverance? Jesus calls us to respond to the human need around us and that can be terrifying, and it can be costly. And having said all that, then the question is, how do we respond to the terrifying transformation power of Jesus? Do we respond as the demons cowering before an all-powerful God? I think not, and I hope not. There really are only two responses. First, like the people, we can simply say and ask Jesus, Leave us alone. Just leave us alone. And you say, come on, pastor. I'd never tell Jesus to leave me alone. But we do. Anytime we refuse to give up a habit that is destructive to ourselves or to others, we're asking Jesus just to leave us alone. If we turn a deaf ear to the needs that Christ is calling us to help meet, we're telling Jesus to leave us alone. We tell Jesus to leave us alone whenever we see injustice in the world and we fail to respond in some sort of redemptive ways. We tell the Lord to leave us alone when we send the poor and others to the graveyard fringes of our society with the attitude that, tough, sorry, that's just the way things are. 
And you know, the saddest truth of all, if we're telling Jesus to leave us alone, he will. The other response would be that of the transformed, demon-possessed man. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to follow him. And Jesus said, the best way you could follow me is to go home and tell all the things the Lord has done for you. Tell of his mercy. And that's exactly what the man did. He was moved by the terrifying, transforming power of Jesus to go and to make a difference in the world in which he lived. I find it interesting. I mean, so often we'll read through the Gospels when Jesus healed somebody. Remember, he'll say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell them that it was Jesus that healed you. But in this case, he's telling, he's telling the demoniac, go and tell everybody. Go back home. Go back to the ten cities and tell everybody what's happened to you. And you wonder, what is the difference? And I think it may be this. Those others, their focus was on the miracle. Their focus was on the healing and the deliverance. And Jesus did not want that to be the reason for people to come to him. Yes, he's going to heal, and yes, he is a great healer, but that wasn't his purpose. His purpose is to come as a great savior. And he don't want people coming to him just for what he can do. We don't go to the Lord's table for what's on the table. We go to the Lord's table for whose table it is. He wants not that people should come to him seeking a favor, seeking a healing, but rather he would want people then and people now to be drawn to him and to the kingdom based upon who he is and what he proclaims. Faith based on the word of God, not for what he does or can do. As I was putting this message together, I found myself thinking of the Apostle Paul. And you remember the Apostle Paul from the book of Acts after, after witnessing the stoning of Stephen. In Acts chapter 9, we read that Paul is now exactly known as Saul at the time. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going there, and he's going to round up anybody he can find that's following Jesus Christ. He's going to round up Christ believers to be arrested, jailed, and persecuted, maybe even put to death just like Stephen. And that's when Paul on the road met the terrifying power and the presence of Jesus that knocked him to the ground, left him blind for three days. And as soon as the blindness left him, Paul became, or Saul became the apostle Paul. He went about preaching and teaching the transformation, the transformation power of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel to all who would hear him. His transformation was much like the demon-possessed man in our story. It was immediate, and it was dramatic. Then we read in Acts chapter 24, Paul is standing trial before Felix, the governor. Speaking in his own defense, Paul tells Felix about Jesus Christ. He talks about righteousness. He talks about the judgment to come, and we're told that as Paul spoke, Felix was confronted in his soul by the terrifying presence of Jesus Christ made real to him by Paul. And what was Felix's response? Go away. I'll hear you at a later time. His response was basically, go away, Jesus. Please just leave me alone. How's that? How troubling. And I pray, please, Lord, Never let that be me. 
Never let it be any person in this congregation and never let it be anyone that we love and care about. And help us in that power and the presence of Jesus Christ. Help us to love all and bring to them the transforming power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, come on, guys. Father, I thank you so much. Help me to be, help me to be like this man of the tombs, this demoniac who just had his encounter with Jesus Christ and how it changed him and just how he had a heart for Jesus Christ, how he loved him and how he went to his people, his family and his friends and his society and just went to them and, and just shared, shared the love of Jesus Christ with them. I look forward to meeting this man one day in your kingdom, Lord, and hearing stories and meeting others that he has brought with him into the kingdom. I know there's going to be many. Father, I pray and you'll help us all, help us all go and share the love and the transformational power of Jesus Christ among our town and our community and our, and our loved ones. And give us your power, Lord, as we do. Help us to be bold. Help us to have wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Remember your people, remember your 
God, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Yes, it is. Your grace is enough for me. So remember, so remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. Yeah, let's lift it up, your grace. Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, yes it is. Your grace is enough for me. God, I see your grace is enough. Oh, I'm covered by your love. Your grace is enough for me. Oh, 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 make Amen, amen.